Pray with me. This is a pretty big topic today, Lord, doubt. And we could spend hours talking about it. We all have our doubts. We have so many doubts, as many as people are sitting in the pew. That's how many doubts we have. Some of us even have doubts of why we're even here today. But Lord, you know. Take the doubts away. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be acceptable to you, for you are our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. You know, we do have a tendency to think bad about Thomas. But if we're all honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit we all have doubts somewhere in our life or even somewhere in our faith. Some part of our life, we have something that's just nagging at us, that doubt. And I have to confess, there are a couple of areas that I really, really have serious doubts about in my life. The first doubt is that no matter how much my daughter drags me to the gym, puts me on this machine, puts this much weight up there, I really, really doubt that I'm ever going to have thin thighs. (laughs) The second doubt for the day is I really doubt that I will ever be a grandmother to anything other than something that is furry. (laughs) And if any of you knew my daughter, you'll know that's very true. Doubts come in all shapes and sizes. Doubts can be funny, but doubts most of the time are serious. Some of you sitting here today are probably saying to yourself, you know, I doubt. I doubt I'm going to have the energy to do what I need to do today. Some of you might have a doubt about Uh, a spouse. Maybe you are doubting a spouse that has gone. Am I ever going to find love again? Maybe you have a doubt about a health concern. Am I ever going to feel like I used to? Doubt. We live with it. We have it. But of all times to doubt, why on Easter? What excitement at seeing the empty tomb. And Mary, Mary herself had seen it, experienced. She runs to the disciples and tells them everything she saw. And that she spoke to the Lord herself. And yet by the end of that Sunday evening, we learn from John's gospel that things were far from well for Christ's followers. Verse 19 tells us the disciples were gathered together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Hmm. Jesus had risen from the dead, and yet his closest followers were living in fear. They were being hunted. I don't know how I'd feel. I don't think any of us have ever been hunted before. Maybe hunting, but not hunted. 
That must be an incredible, horrible feeling to be looked for, to want to be harmed. And that's what the disciples were feeling. That's what they knew was going to happen. But still, why the confusion and the deep gloom? Jesus had told them exactly what was going to happen. He would die and he would resurrect. The answer lies in the fact that the disciples had yet to have that personal experience of the risen Lord. They knew it. They heard it. They had an experience. Some had heard of the resurrection. They talked about it. Some of the disciples had even seen the empty tomb. But they only had an intellectual knowledge of the events. Somehow, it hadn't entered into their personal experience. The Jewish authorities, like I said, were hunting for them. No wonder they took refuge behind closed doors. You know, when people go through a traumatic experience, it often results in them being very, very disoriented. They have a tendency to pull back from commitment and relationships. And that is so understandable. The disciples had suffered the bereavement of their dearest friend. Emotionally, they were thoroughly confused. So it's easy for us to pass judgment on people, especially if we haven't passed through that experience ourselves. But we have to wonder if we wouldn't be doing the same thing up in that upper room with the doors locked. But as they were behind those locked doors, suddenly a light pierces all of that gloom. And there he stood. Jesus. Peace. Peace. Be with you. As he said to the disciples. And overwhelmed wouldn't capture the feeling that the disciples felt at that moment. But as we all know the story, one of the disciples was missing. Missing from action, as they say. Thomas. True, Thomas was a pessimist. And he does get a lot of bad press. But there's a lot of things we don't know about Thomas. One thing we do know from previous scriptures is that he didn't lack courage. If you go back to John chapter 11, verse 16, it states that Thomas says, Let us go, that we may die with him. He's referring to Jesus. He had courage. He loved Jesus, and he was willing to die with him. But the first Easter, when Jesus appeared to the others, he wasn't there. Why? Hmm. He could ask this question all day long. Why? Well, Maybe he needed some time alone. We all do, and that's a good thing. Perhaps he was so wrought with grief that he was confused. And within that confusion and our grief, we can't move. We can't function. That's a typical grief result. Thomas probably was going through all of this and maybe more. But I will say one thing about Thomas. He was guilty of one thing. He withdrew from the Christian fellowship to seek loneliness rather than togetherness. 
And again, it's okay to give yourself permission to get away, to be away, to be by yourself. But Thomas missed an incredible thing. He missed the first coming of Christ because of it. We miss a great deal when we separate ourselves from our Christian family. There comes a time that we need to return because there are things that are going to happen to us within Christ church, which will not happen when we are alone. And I hope if you don't hear anything else, hear this one statement today. There are things that happen to us within Christ church that will not happen to us when we are alone, when we are apart from our brothers and sisters. When Thomas did return, he was met with this excitement of the disciples. We have seen the Lord. Well, can you imagine what Thomas's face must have looked like? I can't imagine. He must have had this look of, really? I don't think so. This was more than what Thomas really could believe because he states that I'm only going to believe that Jesus arose when I see him and when I put my hands in that nail print and when I put my hands in the side where he was wounded, then I'll believe. So seven more days of anguish and doubt continue for Thomas. But God's timing is always perfect. When Jesus returns to the upper room, Christ appears and again states, Peace, peace be with you. Jesus knew what Thomas said. He knew the rules that Thomas set up. He knew the scenario that he was going to walk into with Thomas there. He knew that it had to be what Thomas wanted it to be. It had to be his way. Now, of course, our reaction to Thomas would be something like, listen, Thomas, do you really think you can make a demand like that? But Christ gently invites Thomas to take the test. Here you go. Take the test. And Jesus, unlike us, was a model of gentleness and patience. He knew this is how Thomas was. And you know what? He knows how each one of us would experience that moment. He knows how to work with us as well, just like he knew how to work with Thomas. He knows our quirks. He knows them, and he knows how to work with them. Praise God. So when Thomas touched the Lord, he replied with the only thing he could say, my Lord and my God. Jesus responds to Thomas, Thomas, you needed the eyes of sight to make you believe. But the days will come when men will see with the eyes of faith and believe. We always see the doubting of Thomas as negative. But you know, there's a positive side to doubting. You see, Thomas refused to say that he understood when he didn't. When he didn't understand. He, he refused to say he believed when he didn't believe. Doubting is a very common experience among Christians if we are honest with ourselves. And folks, if you have never doubted about anything, it may mean that you've never seriously thought about anything. 
The only way to never doubt is to never use your mind to question and to figure out anything. So not only can you be a Christian and still have doubts, you can hardly be a Christian without doubting at times. Doubting does not mean that your faith stops. Are you with me? Doubting does not mean that your faith stops. It means that you're trying to understand. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to take your faith to a deeper level. Rather than being afraid of doubts, we should all allow them to take us to a deeper level and experience faith at a different, whole different function and, and under understanding. This kind of doubt can be very, very creative. But all too often, we have a secondhand experience. We have a secondhand faith based on experiences of others. We do not have a dynamic faith because we have never experienced the living Lord ourselves. Honest doubt. Honest doubt means that we are thinking and we're seeking to understand. The simple answers do not satisfy us any longer. We want to understand at a deeper, newer level. But there's also another type of doubt, and that's dishonest doubt. Dishonest doubt seeks to find reasons to stay at its present level of unbelief. Honest doubt wants to know more about God and experience him in new ways. Dishonest doubt seeks to question God at the most basic level in order to avoid coming closer. Dishonest doubt seeks to find excuses for not trusting God and for excluding God from your life. I believe God honors our struggles to understand. I do not believe God judges us when we doubt. We see in Scripture many who struggled with belief, not just Thomas, but look at Abraham and Sarah. Look at Jonah and Peter. Oh, my, we could talk more about Peter. But there is a place for questions, and people who are after the heart of God ask those questions because they want to know, not because they want an excuse for not believing. If you're waiting until you have everything figured out before coming to God, then you're going to be waiting an awful long time. We can't wait until we agree with everything God does before we surrender our life to him. That, folks, is what faith is about. Now, unlike me at the gym, exercising my muscles to get them stronger, and reducing my fat cells, God is pleased with those who exercise their faith, which includes times of doubt. But faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the more powerful it becomes. And the more you feed it, the deeper it's going to grow. I want to do that. I want to exercise my faith to where I can trust God in the most dangerous and important times in my faith, in my life. Faith involves risk. 
You have to be willing to take the risk. Truth is experienced through faith much more, even maybe even more than intellectual investigation. Faith. Faith and doubt will always live in a paradox, always together. But as I speak of faith, I need to bring up a different type of question and doubt, and that's cynicism. Cynicism questions but never attempts to resolve the questions. Cynicism questions merely to question. A cynical spirit only leads us away from God. The cynic is pleased with doubts, and they look for ways to doubt. They delight in the questions and anything that can be questioned. The cynic holds up experiences of being hurt by Christians, and they use that as an excuse to abandon the faith. You know those people. You've heard them. I'm not going back down to that church after what they did to me, after what they said, after what they, you fill in the blank. Cynics look for inconsistencies, and they find a lot of contradictions. Cynicism is worse than dishonest doubt because it is fatal. It is fatal to the spiritual life. The story of Thomas reveals more than the struggle of a doubter to believe. This story reveals the struggle of the love of Christ to penetrate the resistant barriers of human nature. And boy, oh boy, can Christ penetrate barriers that we throw up. Praise be to God. If we focus only on Thomas in this story, we're going to miss an important point in this text. For the real focus of the story is not Thomas, but Christ. This story should remind us that no matter how many Centuries removed from the first disciples we are. That knowledge and relationship to Christ is not related to the first disciples. As Jesus said to Thomas, Blessed are those who believe without seeing. We are not at a disadvantage. We have, thanks to the Holy Spirit, the full experience of Jesus even today. When we sing the hymn, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? We can honestly all say, Yes, I was there. And just like Thomas, we too can say, My Lord and my God. Let us pray. Gracious God, set us free to explore our doubts and use them to reveal a deeper and more personal experience with you. Amen. This morning, instead of a time of silent confession at the end of the prayer, there will be several times that we stop within the prayer for a silent confession. Let us pray together. O God, into your holy presence this morning we come. And we come with praise and with thanksgiving and celebration for you are our God. And we acknowledge that we are your people. God, you have taught us that you are always with us. 
that you are as close as our breath. And we acknowledge your presence with us this morning and ask that we continue to become more and more aware that you are here. Not in a metaphorical way, but actually here with us right now in this place. And we acknowledge, as we acknowledge, that you are here with us. We ask that you help us to see more of who you really are. For we know that you are loving, and so help us to feel that we are loved. We know that you are full of grace and compassion And so help us to understand what grace and compassion really are. We know that you are all powerful. And so help us to feel that power in the powerless situations we find ourselves in. And God, as we become more and more aware of your presence, we become more and more aware that we too often ignore that presence. And as a result, God, we forget whose we are. We forget to live our lives within the law of love. We forget our own true nature and instead become like the world in which we live. And so we ask that you forgive us, God. Forgive us of our hate, our fear, our anxiety. And fill us with your love and your life and your mercy. Forgive us of our busyness, our selfishness, our greed. And fill us with your peace and your joy and your hope. Forgive us of our idolatry our self-worship and our false gods and fill us with yourself, God, with Christ and with the Holy Spirit. And hear our confession, O God. We pray in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ prays for us. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Thanks be to God.